In the here and now, I see the good growing everywhere like fields of wildflowers. And though the past is gone, brokenness lingers like a ghost in the house of my soul. Still, my hope for the future lies in the scarred hands of my Redeemer, the one who is making all things whole and all things new. The good, the broken, the future. When I look with him, I see them all. I see with mature love. I see all three, always commingled. I am Melody. I'm one of the pastors here at Element, and it is my honor to be able to speak with you guys today and to bring our next message in our commingled series. And I am really excited about our kids being in with us today. Kiddos, if you haven't grabbed, oh, it looks like they're all gone, so hopefully you grabbed them. We have handouts for you guys, and don't forget, we are doing Kids Corner at the end of the gathering, um, and you guys have been doing such an awesome job with that. We're going to have our kids in here for a bit, so we're actually going to be having a memory verse that goes along with each series that we have. And so this series has its very own memory verse, and I'm curious, before we put it up, do any of you guys remember the memory verse already? Does anyone remember? It's only been one week, so I don't know. You have a kind of a little cheat sheet. Landon, is that a hand? No? <laughs> All right. We're going to look at it again for you guys. It is Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. A simple verse, one that we've all heard a lot of times, but one that maybe we're going to find a little bit deeper meaning through this series about being commingled. Now, last week, I got to lead the Kids' Corner, which is like our little trivia game that we have after the gatherings, okay? I got to lead the Kids' Corner, and Pastor Benjamin's message was so awesome, and his handouts were so clear that the kids just breezed through those questions like they just got them all right. So I decided we were going to have a bonus question at the end of my Kids' Corner last week. And the bonus question was, inspired by my daughter Kayla, because she had a pretty awesome one. The bonus question was, who can give me some good nicknames for Pastor Benjamin? Because I felt like that was a really important question for us all to consider. So I have some nicknames to share with you this morning. These were the results from my first round of nicknames. Now, we can have more nicknames submitted anytime. You just let me know. So far, we have Ben. Good. That's good. Benji. Heard that one before. Becky. Not sure about that one, but I thought it was funny. Um, Big B, that was a good one. <laughs> Kayla, my daughter's, she's called him for a while, B-Man. She really thinks that's like extraordinarily clever. Good job, Kayla. And one that I loved, Storyteller. Storyteller. So, you know, whoever's running Kids Corner today, feel no need to repay me the favor, but I just thought that I would share that with the church from Pastor Benjamin. But seriously, you guys, if you missed Pastor Benjamin's message last week, which was the introduction to our Commingled series, I would really encourage you guys to go back and listen to it. It was so, so, so good. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this series. This series is actually based on a book called Now I See, written by an author by the name of Zach Elliott. And I think most of you guys know that myself and Pastor Benjamin actually participated in the writing and editing of this book. So we have like a very close relationship with the content because we helped to work through it and clarify it. 
And I can tell you how excited I am about this series. Now, we've talked about this idea of commingled before. We've sent emails. We brought it up in messages. But we're going to, like, slow down and really pause for a minute with it, really look into it, because I think right now it's really what our hearts need to remember, okay? And this idea of commingled, so simple, the idea of the good and the broken and the future always existing, always being able for our eyes to see and perceive, that idea has clarified so much for me. It has taken such complex concepts about God and about suffering and about the existence of our lives here on earth and simplified them into a way that that my mind can grasp, and I hope that your mind can as well as we look into it. But the framework of commingled really helps me to make sense of the world. Yes, there is good. Yes, there is broken. And yes, there is a coming future, a coming wholeness. Shalom, right? All three, always. All three, always. So today, it is my true joy to be able to talk about the good. The good, right? And you know, in, in the world right now, this one maybe feels like the most important. It maybe feels like the most important one. I think it might always be the most important one to start with because if we can't see the good, if we can't see it, we're going to be too discouraged and weary to do much about the broken or to participate in the coming peace, right? We have to start with the good. Our, our souls need it. Our souls need it. You know, we all have appreciated these grand 2020 memes that have been floating around. I think we showed a few here a few weeks ago. <laughs> the current one is the two hurricanes as the zeros of 2020, which is sad but funny. Um, so yeah, there's like a lot of stuff going on, right? We all know that. There's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of troubles in the world. And I don't think we can remind ourselves enough, like, there is also good. There is also good. So that's what we're going to talk about today for a few minutes. We're talking about seeing with mature love, which means seeing with the eyes of Jesus, seeing with the eyes of God, seeing with the eyes of the creator who created this whole world and who sees always the good and always the broken and always the future. And we are invited to see like that. We're invited to live like that. And when we do, it changes things, right? So last week, Pastor Benjamin taught us that there are three stages of seeing with mature love, okay? We're going to put them up again for you guys. The three stages of seeing with mature love. Noticing, embracing, and then love overflowed. Love overflowing. Noticing, embracing, and love, okay? So we're going to break those three pieces down today as it relates to the good. And hopefully we can come away with a deeper understanding of, of what it means to see the good with the eyes of the creator. So number one, when we notice the good, we affirm it. We say it. We notice the good, we affirm it. So the first time that Zach Elliott came to this warehouse to speak for us, was several years ago. Some of you might remember. He's the guy that jumps all around on the stage and like I'm always nervous he's going to like fall off, okay? He's awesome. First time he came, he came super early. He came at like 6 in the morning, which is like as early as we get here to get ready. And he's like, I'm just going to walk around and I'm just going to pray. Cool. That's so amazing. You're going to come. You're going to pray on our building. That's so great. So he's outside walking around praying and he comes in partway through our rehearsal. He comes in and he's like, you know, you guys have a beautiful pond out there. And I'm like, 
we do. <laughs> like, that was such a random comment of, for him to make. Like, this is the first time he's coming here. There's like, you know, lots of things to notice in this warehouse complex. But the first thing he says to me is, you guys have a beautiful pond out there. And I was like, that is an interesting thing to say. And I don't think it was just an offhanded comment. And I don't think he was trying to patronize. And I don't think he was trying to teach. I think he was looking for beauty and he found it because that was the overflow of what was in his heart. And as strange as it seemed to me at the time, I was like, um, that's, yes, we, we, there's a pond over there. Like, I will probably never forget that moment. I will probably never forget it because it was such a simple model to me of seeing through the eyes of mature love and of how was it that after 12 years here, like, I never really noticed the pond? Uh, if someone asked me, I don't really know if I could have confirmed or denied its existence, to be honest with you, okay? I think it was more of like a water retention area. <laughs> but like, let's be honest, it's not one of nature's great beauties, our pond, okay? But <laughs> I, I, I'm not carrying around all sorts of shame that I never noticed it before, but it really got me thinking like, what else do I not notice? What else do we not notice? What other good, what other beauty do we not even see because we're not looking for it, because we're not noticing it. Noticing to me, the, the idea of noticing, this thing that we're trying to work into our souls, it reminds me of those spot the difference pictures. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Where you look at two pictures and you try to like figure out the differences between them. We actually have one today. We're going to put one up here on the screen. Now, you know, this screen is a little tough to see, so this is going to be trickier than usual, people. But there are six differences in these pictures. Can anybody raise their hand and tell me a difference? Stella, you see one? Do you see a difference in the pictures? Can you tell me one? The clocks are different. You're right. The first one has two clock faces, and the other one is missing its hands. You're right. Who else sees one? Matthew. You're right, two chimneys on one and only one on the other. Isaac. There's an airplane on one and not the other. All right, let's see. Killian. American flag. All right, you guys have four. Gabe. The top of the clock tower has a different top, doesn't it? All right, who can spot the last one? The last one is the trickiest. Ansley, you see it? You got it. You guys nailed it. Good job. I, the windows took me a second. Like, I knew something was off, but I couldn't place it. All right. Now, oh, yeah. Did you have that up the whole time? Okay, good. <laughs> There's the differences in case you can't see them. <laughs> All right. So this is just a silly picture game, right? But what we're talking about today is noticing like this to see good things in the world that might take a focused eye and a healthy heart to see. We're talking about looking for the good, looking for the good. Paul says in Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And that is a beautiful verse. It's one that I repeat to myself often when I'm having a struggle, right? But 
if we're going to think about these things, we have to notice them. We have to see them so that our hearts can ponder them, right? So that we can embrace them. You know, it takes some skills to notice the good. It does. Here's what I think it takes. To notice the good, I think we first have to slow down. Then we have to be present. And then we have to choose to look for the good. Slow down, be present, and choose to look for the good. Now, you guys have heard us talk about slowing down before, and we've shared that beautiful speed of love quote, right? That love doesn't ever run, it always walks. And we've talked about slowing down, and not too long ago, we all experienced like a forced slowdown because of the pandemic, right? But my question is, how quickly are we pushing to get back to our frenzied pace, right? Even in the midst of the pandemic still going on, most of us are pushing. Life is back at its normal pace. It's just a little more complicated, right? What are we missing when we don't consciously choose to slow down every once in a while? What do we miss it? The number two being present, right? The reality is that we are often not present to what's immediately going on around us, right? We're either attached to our technology or we're distracted with whatever problems are spinning around in our minds, or we're multitasking with all of the different things that we have to do, and we aren't present. We don't notice the pond. We don't notice the good, right? In our world, presence is an art. It's an art. It is something we have to cultivate. It's something we have to learn and practice because our culture does not reward being present very well. But if we want to see with the eyes of mature love, that is what we have to choose. Now, you know who I think can teach us something about being present? Pets. Pets. Specifically dogs. Cats basically live on their own plane of existence that I don't fully understand. But dogs, right? Our dogs, we've had a few, they are always so happy to see us whenever we walk back in that house. Doesn't matter what went on in their day. Doesn't matter what they were doing at the time. Doesn't matter what they need, really. Like, they're just joyful at our presence, no matter what. Every single time. They're completely present. They don't have, they're not worried about what somebody said on Facebook. They're not worried about what they think about politics. They're not worried about what somebody said at school. They're just happy to see someone who loves them. They're just looking for the good. They're just being present. Like, what would happen if we felt like that every time we came into the presence of someone we love? What if Everything stopped for a second, and we made note of the fact that we are coming into contact with another human whom we love. That's presence, putting it all down for a second and celebrating that good moment of being together. And then intentional choice, intentional choice. Like, even if we slow down and we become present, we still got to choose to look for the good, right? Because the broken things, the hard things, the bad things, the negative things are usually easier to see. Usually easier to see, right? So we have to choose to look for the good. In Zach Elliott's book, he says this. Can we really claim to walk in the light if we continue to notice only what we learned to see in the dark? Can we really claim to walk in the light if we only choose to notice what we learned to see? in the dark. Now here's the thing. Jesus in you sees the good. He sees the good. And as he comes alive in you, and as he transforms you, then you too will see by that light. 
you too will start to notice the good. That's what Jesus does in us. He gives us these eyes of mature love. All of these skills are important. Noticing and presence and choosing, those are all important. But you know what? It's really Jesus in us that does this. It's really him transforming us. And we'll start to notice the little pond outside the warehouse. And we'll start to notice the kindness of the checkout clerk or the kindness of someone opening the door for us or a, a parent who chooses to show mercy or a teen who chooses to show respect. We'll notice the sound of laughter and we'll notice the taste of good food. And that is partially our choice and it's partially God in us, right? Because there are so many good things that we sometimes forget to notice, right? Now, before we move on from noticing, we have to ask ourselves a really important question, really important one. We're going to notice the good. That's what we're talking about today. So the question is, what does good really mean? What does good really mean? What if many of the hard things that we experience in life are truly and inherently and ultimately good? What if even those things we can notice as good, not only good, not good in a vacuum, we're talking about commingled, but what if we can see the good even in the hard things, right? It's easy to say that laughter and tacos and books and mercy and compassion and grace are good, right? But what about the hard things? Where goodness is mixed right in with the broken, right? Where it always points toward the future wholeness. We might look at an illness or a conflict or the loss of a job or a pandemic or a death, and we might see broken, right? But that's not the only thing to see in those situations, right? What if they're all so good? What if an illness reminds us that we're not superheroes, that we're mortals, and that we are created by a God, and what if that illness leads us to deeper levels of trust in him? That's good. What if a conflict that feels like it might be the end of a relationship, what if it teaches us things about ourselves? What if it teaches us ways to prefer another? That is good. That is good, right? I could go on. But the reality is, as my dad always says, there's always something good to find. We can even look at extreme examples. War, famine, and poverty, and oppression, and violence. These are the epitome of brokenness, right? But could there be good to find? Could our choice even to just see it, to see it as broken, to mourn it as broken, could that action be good? I think it could, right? Could our choice to participate in the mending of those atrocities, to bring compassion, to bring hope, could that be good? Yeah, could be. We're talking about commingled. Nothing exists in a vacuum. There's always good. There's always broken. And it's always pointing us to the future. So yes, there's always something good to find. So then, we've noticed the good. Now we're going to embrace it. And when we embrace the good, we celebrate. We celebrate. Right? Because it's not just enough to notice things and say them. If things are really good, they are meant to be celebrated. This life is too hard and too crazy to not choose to celebrate what is good. 
right? When I think of celebrating celebrating what is good, I think of my experience at Circle A. A lot of you guys know my family ran a youth camp for over 40 years, and we would bring teens in from all over the world to our camp, and we would invite them, not just the kids, but the staff, the family. We would invite everyone to spend a couple weeks looking for the good, looking for the good and celebrating it, saying it to each other, cheering for every person on every team, even if you're competing against them, writing notes of affirmation to each other. It was a conscious, focused, deliberate effort to celebrate the good. That's what we did at Circle A. And I will tell you, it, is, it was a challenge. It was even a challenge for me every summer to go back to that environment and engage in a deeper way of looking for the good in every moment of every day. And it was certainly a challenge for the kids who come because that's not the way that we're used to relating to people, right? Usually when we connect with someone, a lot of times we, we're connecting about our criticisms. We're connecting about the things that we agree to complain about. That's a lot of times what people choose to connect about in this world. But can you imagine the transformative power of spending a couple weeks just really focusing on looking for the good in yourself, in each other, in the world, in your environment? It's transformative. It is. Let me give you an example of when, when I think of celebrating the good, this is the example that comes to mind in my life. I was about 15 or 16 years old, so I was still camper age at Circle A, and we held the first advanced leadership session, which was for kids who had been through the program a couple times. Um, they were invited to come back for like an advanced session. And nearing the end of the session, we all went out for a hayride out to the campfire field where we would go every summer to roast marshmallows and sing songs and whatever. But this time it was going to be something a little bit different. And what my dad did, there was probably at least like 40 campers and staff. What we did was one at a time. The camper would walk to the center of this circle of people, the fire going. They would walk to the center, and around the circle, people would stand up and affirm what was good about that person. And like, we've all been a part of affirmation exercises before. Like, this is not a new concept to anyone. But this activity of like speaking these things in front of all of the peers that you respect all of the people that you admire, and having them spoken to you, one person after another person after another person, to say what they see is good about that individual. You guys, it was the most transformational experience of my entire life. I will never forget it. Nobody there will ever forget it. Now, what did that cost us to do that? To literally change every life that was there. A night, I mean, we were out there all night. We came in at like six in the morning. We, stood, we stayed out there all night long, all these kids just saying good things about each other. It was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. But you know what? Like, I think that kind of stuff will happen in heaven. I think that kind of stuff makes God's heart so happy because there is so much in this world that just looks for the junk, right? It just looks for the broken. It just looks for places to criticize and bring people down. And Jesus invites us, like Paul said, to think about the good and the true and the beautiful, to dwell on those things, to speak them and celebrate them to, with each other. It was an extremely transformational experience, and it's something that I hope everyone could have a chance to experience something like that. And 
that we would choose to create as we go about our lives in looking for the good in each other, in the world, in the systems that are pretty broken, like they're still good to find, guys, and it matters to celebrate it. There's a little phrase that I try to remember when I am working to look for the positive things, and it's really simple. <laughs> I just start with, it is good. It is good that, whatever. Today, it is good that we are here together in this warehouse and online. It is good that our hearts are beating in our chests. It is good that our eyes can see. It is good that our ears can hear. It is good that our nerves are feeling. It is good that our planet is spinning. Like, we don't have to search out some grand, amazing thing that doesn't exist in every moment because good exists in every moment, right? It is good. It is good. If we don't slow down and really notice, we miss the miracle of life itself. It is a miracle that each of us are sitting here today. A miracle, and it is good. When I choose to practice that phrase, I also have to remember that that does not discredit the broken. It does not discredit all of the things that are hard right now, right? Just because I choose to affirm the good of us gathered here today doesn't mean I don't also see the brokenness of not all of us being able to gather, of us having to sit far apart and wear masks and not hug. Like, that's broken, right? And there's all kinds of more brokenness other than that, right? There's sickness represented in every family here today. There is death that has happened in our church family. There's poverty on our doorstep. There are orphans in our city, right? There's evil at work in the world. Yep, that's all true. Also, it is good that we are here today. It is good that our hearts are beating and our eyes are seeing and our ears are hearing, right? The good does not discredit the broken, but we have to see it too. We have to see it always, right? And just because I see the good doesn't mean that I think for a moment that this is as good as it gets, right? All the good that we see is only ever a quiet echo of the true coming peace. And that's the truth. Mature love doesn't get carried away by the good or the broken or the future. It stays right in the commingled center of all of those things because that's reality and that's how God sees too. Paul writes to us about this in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is a picture of the commingled reality. Rejoice always, church. Well, also, always there is brokenness. 
but we also choose to rejoice, right? Give thanks in all circumstances because there's always something to be grateful for. Which brings us to the last piece of looking with mature love. When we love the good, when we overflow, we experience gratitude. Gratitude. Now, we've learned about and experienced gratitude before. There's many things to be thankful for in our lives, right? But the gratitude that we're talking about with this overflow of love, it's not just a feeling of thankfulness for the good things. It's an outpouring. It's an overflow, okay? It's a gratitude that wells up from a place deeper than we first knew existed. And it's a gratitude that fully sees the commingled reality, fully sees the brokenness, and still chooses to be thankful. I'm going to read these words written by Zach because they encapsulate the sort of gratitude we're talking about. He says, this gratitude does not happen in abstraction. This is not about thank you notes or obligatory acknowledgments, although those are good. This is not something forced or planned. This is the overflow. This is as good as it gets. Life to the full, brimming over and breaking the dam and tangibly expressing thanksgiving for every good thing. The life and beauty we longed for in the cave is alive in front of us, alive so deeply and so fully and powerfully that it fills our hearts with overflowing joy. It seems more real, more stunning, and more holy and more transformational than ever before. The sound of a bird singing at dawn, the perfection of a cool breeze on a warm day, the expression of kindness on the face of a child, the connections and relationship with friends new and old. Our gratitude moves our hearts beyond what we thought we had the capacity to feel. Songs and prayers and tears and laughter well up within us because our human bodies are not capable of containing this sort of thanksgiving for that which is good. That's the kind of gratitude we're talking about. That's the kind of gratitude that happens even in the middle of our biggest messes and biggest failures and biggest fears. That gratitude can exist. It can. Because Jesus does his transformative work in us. And when he does, this sort of gratitude isn't even about we're grateful for these things for us. It's not that something is good for us. It's simply that something is good. Not for us. Simply that it is good. I'm going to read one more quote from Zach. He says, Our celebration becomes selfless when we choose to rejoice over others. When we see others succeeding and learning and growing, we have no sense of comparison or competition, just love. We can step aside and marvel at the goodness in others, joy spilling over as the Father's delight for his children comes alive in us. When we can spend our time and our energy in celebration of another, rather than in preference of ourselves, we have experienced mature love. And ask Benjamin to come up. He's going to sing the perfect song to help us remember to look for the good. Because this is how we want to celebrate, right? This is how we want to experience gratitude. Something that cannot even be contained within us 
and is not tempered by the brokenness that we face. This gratitude is real and it's good. And it's what God invites us to experience. I'm going to read one more piece from Colossians 3 from the message. Paul says, If you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too. The real you. The glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity. And then down to verse 15. He writes, Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. Cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ... The message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense and sing. Sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master, Jesus, thanking God, the Father, every step of the way. <laughs>